Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, September 11th. See yourself when you help others as a gardener watering his plants. Whether the plants be bushes, grass, or flowers, all of them need water. And human beings, whether haughty or humble, harsh or gentle, ignorant or learned, provocative or submissive, dry, brittle, or richly humorous, All of them need nourishment. If you nourish them with the nectar of kindness, they will thrive. I had a very interesting thought recently. I was thinking about a particular politician whose policies I'm not fond of and many of whose decisions I feel are very hurtful to people. Um, Just one of the many leaders in the planet right now who could uh, use some lessons in compassion. And I was, I was thinking in my mind how, because this person is a public figure, you know, I'm more, I'm more familiar with his transgressions than I am with somebody who lives three streets over and I don't even know his name. So I was thinking that inevitably, because of the politicians' unsympathetic actions, which have caused, which do cause grief to a large number of people, that somehow or another he'll have to learn compassion, and the way we learn compassion is we suffer. What we've inflicted upon others we will have to experience. One man who had a death and return experience had done some wrong things in his life and caused a lot of pain for people, and he had to experience in the post-death state, he had to experience himself the pain he had caused to others, and he'd caused a lot of pain to others, and there was a lot of suffering. Most death and return stories are very light and happy, but there's others that are not. When, when somebody gave Swamiji a, a sampling of stories of people who hadn't gone to heaven, but had essentially gone to hell, not hell in the uh, fundamentalist burn forever in hell kind of feeling, but had gone to a dark place. Swami's comment only was, well, this had to be true because there are people in the world who aren't good. And so when they're not... When they die, they see their lack of goodness. One of the most dramatic stories in that case was a man who'd been very cynical about spirituality, and he'd been a college professor, and he made a point of mocking anybody who had faith in God, and he made a point of trying to undermine faith, divine faith that any of his students had. He made sure that they were cynical by the time they left his class, or at least he did his very best to destroy their faith. So after he died, he went into a place of no hope, of no aspiration and no hope. Just sort of what he'd been trying to impose on people was that there's nothing to believe in, there's no future, there's no upliftment. So he got to experience that. He just got to live in the vibration that he'd been trying to impose upon others. And it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare for him. Now, what brought him out of it? I don't have a clear recollection of what brought him out of it. But what he realized when he came back, is what what terrible evil he had done. 
because he experienced the consequences of it, the natural extension of his campaign. And as a consequence, he'd made his whole reputation on his cynicism. And uh, when he came back, he, he, he couldn't go forward in the same way. He lost his position. He lost his wife. He, he lost pretty much everything. But he couldn't go on in the same way because he experienced the pain that he had caused us others. And when he experienced what he had caused, he couldn't do it anymore. So I was thinking of this politician, and I would think, was thinking about how, believing in reincarnation as I do, that for every pain he caused, he would have to suffer. And then through his suffering, he would gradually realize that when the opportunity came, of course, what happens first is you cause me to suffer, I'll cause you to suffer. First, you go through revenge. You play tit for tat for a while. And then finally, you realize that I don't want to do this anymore. So he would learn. And then I thought of it, and, and there's just an interesting sidelight on this. This is this. This is very interesting, and I don't actually even know where to put this in my mind. But we see someone who's suffering greatly now, and, and naturally you feel compassion for them and you want to help them. But when I think in my mind about this politician, about the inevitable suffering he's going to have to experience for his own good, so that he can learn his lessons, so that he can rise to a higher state of consciousness, I have nothing personal at stake. That's why I'm talking about a politician. I don't... I don't need him to be punished. He hasn't done anything to me. There's nothing personal here. But I'm just impersonally thinking he will suffer. And the, the, the good thing about the suffering is that he will learn and change. So when I think about that, I'm not, I'm not distressed by the fact that he's going to suffer. But when I see someone suffering, it distresses me. But if I knew, if I saw it in a straight line... I would feel that's appropriate. But of course it's appropriate. That doesn't mean I shouldn't help them or I shouldn't feel compassionate for them because it's my good karma to be able to help someone who's suffering. And it's their good karma to have someone who wants to help them. So we all sort of work this together. But the point that I was coming to is also is that I realize that God rejoices when anybody learns a lesson that they need to learn. And, and if we're moving in the right direction and we're learning something that we need to learn, to God it's all the same. When a six-year-old learns to tie their shoe, for the six-year-old that's an enormous victory. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Master talks about his early memories of learning to talk and learning to walk. And he makes some reference point to how adults sometimes don't appreciate what enormous adventures these are, what enormous victories they are. When, you know, there's always the child's first step. He learns to walk upright. This is like such a big victory. He, he begins to gain some, some mastery over that tiny body. And everybody cheers. So when a person who's been dark and unfeeling even makes the tiniest movement toward compassion and kindness, the universe celebrates that. They don't say, well, you've still got a long way to go. You know, when the child takes its first step, you don't say, well, I'll, I'll be proud of you when you win your first marathon. You say, I'm just so thrilled because you took the first step. That's how God sees us. God is our, that's where we talk about God as Divine Mother and Heavenly Father, so that we can sort of feel what, what, that, what the real relationship we have with God is. 
And also to realize, you see, we're all equal. We're all equal before God. It's not that God loves Jesus Christ or Krishna more than he loves this politician I'm talking about. Jesus Christ or Krishna can receive that love and share that love on a level that this politician can't even imagine. But, but we're all equally children of God. It's a very strange thing. We're all equally children of God. And the only thing each one of us can do is from where we're standing, move forward. Swamiji has often emphasized that spiritual progress is directional. It's not like I'm nobody and then I'm God-realized. It's which way are we facing and, and how determinedly are we moving. And some people are faced toward the dark and they're just moving determinedly toward the dark. But even then they have to go deep enough before they make the turn. A woman friend of mine who had a, a son and she had intuition from the time he was born, all of which was, was carried out. He had very complicated karma and actually just got himself in a tremendous amount of trouble, went to prison, and eventually actually was killed by the police when he was in a shootout with the police. This woman had three children. Two of them are live, you know, stellar, uplifted lives, and one of them was shot by the police. But her, her intuition about this, this child, who was so different than the rest of the family, was that he was still swimming out, and he hadn't reached the end point of, of, his, of his moving away from the light. But she felt intuitively that this was the incarnation when he would reach the farthest point. And then after this, he would start swimming back. But she, she knew, she was a very psychic lady, she knew that this was going to be dark. It was going to go just like that, and it was. But she was comforted by the fact that this was going to be, he was going to finally hit the bottom and make the turn. So think how much God rejoices when we hit the bottom, when this is the last and worst life we've ever had, and now we're going to start coming back. Or maybe this is like, the, 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 there's a hundred more of these, but ultimately we're going to make the turn and come back. And this is the impartiality. This is what the word unconditional love means. We talk about unconditional love and we try to sort of be unconditional. I'm not mad at you because you left your socks on the floor again instead of putting them in the hamper. You know, that's the level that we work on, unconditional. But unconditional means that the love is, is absolutely flows 100% and there's no need for any response and there's no change no matter what. Just no matter what. That doesn't mean that God showers us with good fortune when we behave in such a way as to injure his other children whom he also loves because we have to learn. We have to learn who we're supposed to be. We have to learn where our happiness comes from. We have to suffer. Um, we have to suffer as we impose suffering on others because that is how we learn. We never learn except from experience. Somebody can just tell you over and over. I mean, how many children, mommy says, don't touch the hot stove. Now, honey, don't touch the hot stove. Whatever you do, don't touch the hot stove. So the child just waits till mommy's out of the room and then the child goes up and puts his hand on the hot stove because why would I believe you, you know? And then, oh, what do you know? She was right. Look at my hand. It's burned. And then, we know, don't put your hand on the hot stove. And then after that, it's in our minds, and we know. 
there's countless things that people have told us. You know, don't marry that person. He's actually an alcoholic. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not. Why didn't you tell me he was an alcoholic? I did tell you he was an alcoholic. No, you didn't. Mm, Yes, I did. It was on September 25th, and we were sitting in your living room. We were drinking tea out of the flower cups. I remember it exactly, (laughs) you know. But until you were there living with him, married to him, you just don't believe it until you have the experience. But God is pleased even when we're going downhill because we're moving. The river is always flowing toward the sea whether it seems to be going backwards from the sea or just sitting in a stagnant pool, every drop of water is heading for the sea. Every jiva is heading for the ocean of bliss. And Divine Mother and and God and Guru, they're always in our corner. They're always there. They're just cheering us on. So Swami has this beautiful image. When you help people, and, and I watch this in Swami so often, just feel like a gardener watering a garden. Oh, here's the here's the grass. Here's the roses. You know, here's... Here's this uh, little, odd little plant. Here's this giant tree. It's like they're all different. They all have different destinies. They're all at different stages of development, but I'm just here to water them. And I watch Swami many times in many different circumstances. Just always, he always had a single question, how can I help? When we were in Goa, India, which is a, a, a vacation area, at least we would go there, for a number of years, Swami would go to this uh, beautiful resort there, and sometimes he would take a large crowd, sometimes he'd take a few. So a number of times I spent a couple of weeks with Swami in this beautiful resort. Goa is an area of India that was actually um, owned by the Portuguese, and it wasn't uh, until India became independent that it, even some years after it became independent, it blended in with the rest of the country. So it's a slightly different culture. Now, just to give the whole picture, Kashmir, which is way in the north of India, goes in the south. Kashmir has had a tremendous amount of, of civil unrest and confusion, and many Kashmiris over the years have emigrated from Kashmir, and many of them have settled in Goa. Kashmiris are very um, business-oriented, they're, they're hard-working, they're aggressive, and they're, you know, they're, they're good people. They have good businesses, they have beautiful handicrafts. So we're in Goa. And there's a very nice Kashmiri store we want to go visit that's not in our hotel. So we have a taxi driver. And the taxi driver, where can I take you? And the taxi driver, of course, you know, has, gets a commission for various places he takes us. But he's a Goan. And so we want to go to this Kashmiri store. So the Goan taxi driver, Swami's in the front seat, starts complaining about how these Kashmiris are coming in and they're taking over and they're just, you know, they, they just moved in. It's not their country. In India is so big that people think of it as different, you know, and just grouse, 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 grouse like that. So anyway, we went to the store. The next day we actually wanted to go to the store again for various reasons I don't remember. We, we're in the same taxi driver. And he, again, is not real happy that he has to take us to the Kashmir store. So Swami starts talking to the taxi driver about what are the native crafts of Goa? You know, what is Goa famous for? What is it that you all do that no one else does? And of course, there were lots of things that they do. Well, you know that. I think tourists would be very interested in that. You know, if you, if you all could just develop your own crafts and then present them. This is where people are, after all. We're not in Kashmir. We're in Goa. We'd be interested in what's here. And then, you know, we went to the store and he just left it. But I, I thought to myself, wasn't that perfect? It's like here he's complaining about other people's behavior. Swami just doesn't say anything except, huh, 
Maybe there's something creative you can do. And it wasn't like the man even had the slightest capability. But Swami thought about it and thought, how can I just turn him ever so slightly in this positive direction? Not a hint of judgment on Swami's part, just, oh, what could I do to make your life a little better? I've never forgotten because it was so beautifully done. So, see yourself when you help others as a gardener watering his plants. Whether the plants be bushes, grass, or flowers, all of them need water. And human beings, whether haughty or humble, harsh or gentle, ignorant or learned, provocative or submissive, dryly brittle or richly humorous, all of them need nourishment. If you nourish them with the nectar of kindness, they will thrive. God bless you all. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.